As we come now before the very word of God, if you'd like to read along with me again, we'll be in 1 John chapter 5. I'll read in a moment from 1 John 5. But before we read, let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, you are the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, and by you all things were created in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible. You are the Holy One. So Lord, we ask by your power and by your spirit that you would be with us as we come before your word. Would you bring to us life and wisdom and hope in you and give us ears to hear and hearts to believe. We ask this grace in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is 1 John chapter 5. We'll begin in verse uh, 18 and read through the end of the chapter. So 1 John 5, beginning in verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of God. Now, these are the final words of John that he's written here in his first letter. But this will not be our final sermon in 1 John. I know you must just think I'm stretching this out uh, just as long as I can. But, but we have one more, I think, uh, one more sermon here where we will... <clears throat> Excuse me. One more sermon where we will look at this very last sentence and then tie the whole letter together through that. But at least I want us to, to hear the notes that John ends on here. His general pro approach at the ending is to give us a re-emphasis of our knowledge. To give us a re-emphasis of our knowledge. He has given us a triplet of knowings. Verses 18, 19, and 20 all start with the same word, we know. So the Christian life is not just about singing how Jesus loves me. 
He does. He does love me. But if that's all I can do, that would be a very immature faith. John loves Jesus. He's the famous apostle whom Jesus loved. Uh, He is loved by Jesus, and he wants us to love Jesus too. But you cannot love what you do not know. Knowledge matters. So in my freshman year uh, of college, I took a philosophy course. Uh, like a fool. Uh, Not the philosophy's bad, I just was way over my head. And and the the philosophy professor was this older Scottish man. And and he would call us all by our last names. So he would say, Mr. Markley, that's my best Scottish, Mr. Markley, what do you know? And I was never quite sure that I understood the question. Uh, that I I was going to get it wrong somehow. Uh, But that was the first time, for me at least, as a young adult, that I was really pressed to consider not only what I believe, but what I know, and how I might know it. You know, philosophers end up all over the map when it comes to knowledge. Some of them even, you know, reach the point of questioning their own existence. You know, those famous words of Descartes, uh, I think... Therefore, I am. I am. I'm glad. I exist. Uh, It's because I think. We know, uh, but we don't have to dig into all of this, that the the Bible is not a philosophy book, and we don't have to get all philosophical or scholarly about this to recognize that what we know or what we think we know directs how we live. So if I think I know that there is no such thing as a final judgment or an afterlife, that's going to leave me with no hope for ultimate justice. The best I could do is strive to cobble together justice somehow in my own hands. Or if I think I know that things like love and respect are supposed to be 50-50, with anyone whom I deal with. You know, you give me love, I give you love back. You give me respect, I give you respect back. If that's the way I do it, I'm going to find myself frustrated and quitting on these things because no one is ever going to meet me halfway like I want it to be. Or if I think I know that my body is just a bag of bones, it's just a sack that holds my real self, then I'm going to treat my body like a Halloween costume. It might be a little fun, maybe a little funky, maybe a little flirty at times, uh, but it's not ultimately, it's not a big deal because it's not really part of me. Eventually, I'm just going to take it off and throw it away in the end. What we know or think we know affects how we live. And most people, including Christians, assume we know lots of things, but that knowledge doesn't always align with the truth. So it's good for for all of us to pause and consider what we really know. John reminds us, as Christians of things that we can reliably know. 
So he ends this letter with a knowledge triplet to know the nature of sin, the nature of ourselves, and the nature of God. We've heard John talk repeatedly about these things throughout the letter, so I won't spend much time on these. Let me just summarize. The nature of sin is the first one in verse 18. We know that everyone who's been born of God doesn't keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one doesn't touch him. He's not saying that Christians never sin, of course. We still find that we do evil. The evil that we don't want to do, we still do. But he's just saying that that now that our sin is forgiven in Jesus, we are fundamentally incompatible with sin. It's like oil and water. So we can't just sit with it. We can't just keep on sinning as if it didn't matter. Our master isn't sin and death anymore. Our master is the God of life who protects us. We know that about the nature of sin, but then he says we know something about the nature of ourselves in verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So so every person who is born in the world is born under the power of the evil one. But the Christian is born again, reborn of God. Through Jesus, we have a new self so that we are now children of God. That's the nature of ourselves. And then he ends, the third knowledge triplet is about the nature of God in verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus has come. He's revealed God to us. And he's given us minds to understand God so that we can more clearly know him who is true. This third triplet, then, ends with the words that we'll focus on today. You'll see them toward the end, or at the end of verse 20. The final words there are, He is the true God and eternal life. These are words about the nature of God. And these are the words about Christ that declare his deity. He is the true God and eternal life. And some might say, oh, I already know that. Well, good. I hope you know. But we want to let that knowledge settle. Let it really sink into the deep places of ourselves because this knowledge of Christ and his deity impacts how we live. Jesus is a man, a man who was born in Bethlehem, who was born of a woman. He is also God. He's the true God and eternal life. So Jesus is both has both, is both fully of human nature and of fully divine nature. We'll lean in on that divine nature. Before we do, I want to recognize a technicality here. And I wrestled with whether or not we would go into all of this to address all of this or not. I thought, is this helpful? Is it not helpful? I don't know. If it's not helpful, well, 
accept my apologies up front. But, but I decided eventually to go ahead and lean into this because I don't want to hear, I, I don't want you to hear this push on this component from somewhere else, especially from someone who's trying to undermine the deity of Jesus. I want you to hear it within the context of a church. The technicality is that there is some ambiguity about this sentence that has attracted a good bit of debate. Because John does not technically say, Jesus is the true God and eternal life. He says, he is the true God and eternal life. And it's not perfectly clear who the he is in that sentence. Technically, the he could refer to the Father. Him who is true, he's called later in this verse. It could refer to the Father, or it could refer to the Father's Son, Jesus Christ, which is it? That's really the discussion. And this doesn't need to, you know, throw us out of whack at all. We encounter ambiguities in language like this all the time. So, for example, if I said, I drove to visit my dad with my brother, and he's a lot of fun, you might go, well, who do I mean by he? Is my dad a lot of fun? or my brother a lot of fun. You might get a good sense of what I mean from the context, but technically, I could mean either from that. So this technical language is not uncommon. It's not a problem or a concern for us. And some people would say, well, since you can't be 100% sure of what the text means here, we should just say nothing about that. We should just, hands off, lean away from addressing, addressing the divinity of Christ from this text. But I say the opposite. The very ambiguity here inclines us to lean forward, to lean more into the divinity of Jesus. And it's right, I think, to assume that's what John wants us to do, because we know John, the author, the guy that wrote all this that we've been working through in these last months, John is a faithful Jew. He's, John is a Christian by faith in Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus. He's also Jewish by heritage. He didn't just take off his Jewish hat just because he met Jesus. And Jews take the holiness of God extremely seriously. They adamantly affirm that the Lord God is one, that God is the only God and God will not give or share his glory, his worship, his praise with any other. It's very important. And to protect the glory and worship of God, they do not even speak the name of God when they read the scriptures aloud. They don't even want to be within breathing distance of blasphemy. They don't even want to say anything close that could be misconstrued to saying that anyone else is even remotely like God. That would not even, not just be foolish to say, it would be dangerous. Blasphemy is punishable by death. 
So as a Jew with such great profound care for God's holiness, you would think that if John meant to say, well, the true God is only the Father, not Jesus. Jesus isn't God, just the Father. If that's what he meant to say, you would think he would be crystal clear about that to keep the two things separate. He'd say, listen, guys, I got to make sure to close this door so you don't hear what I'm not saying. But John does just the opposite. And he blurs any hard line of deity between the Father and the Son. The very fact that John would speak so fluidly of Jesus and the Father here, so much so that we can't even tell which one of them he means to talk about, That very fact speaks volumes about John's belief and knowledge of Christ's divinity with the Father. That Jesus is God. And he wants us to know that too. I am convinced here that the he is meant to be Jesus that the scripture is saying Jesus is the true God and eternal life. There's plenty of other reasons to read it this way, but it's about grammar. Jesus is the nearest referent to the pronoun. If you even know or care what that means, that matters for some. It, it, It matters maybe that the mention of life, eternal life, in the whole letter, whenever John talks about the life of God, it's always in reference to Jesus, not to the Father, and the same's the the case here. There's lots of other reasons, but the biggest reason why we can take this as referring to Jesus is because this statement is part of a sandwich. Do you think I'd start talking about lunch? Oh, sorry if you suddenly got hungry. This is part of a sandwich. The technical word in, you know, people that know things like this is inclusio, which I think is just fun to say. Inclusio. Inclusio is a fancy way of saying sandwich. We've got bread sandwich. We've got a sandwich with bread at the top and a sandwich with bread at the bottom. And all the things in the middle are kept together by that sandwich. This sandwich, or inclusio, is pretty common in John. He does it in other sorts of writings. In John's gospel, he does a very similar thing. The biggest statements about the divinity, the divine nature of Jesus, are at the beginning and the end of the gospel according to John. So when he writes this big gospel, he opens with these famous words. You'll know them. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He's speaking about Jesus, that the word was God. He later goes on within that early section. He says, no one has seen God, but Christ, the only God, has made him known. That's the top piece of bread. Later in John's gospel, at the end, we see Thomas. This is after Jesus has died, has resurrected, has appeared to many, and Thomas, you know, famously the so-called doubting Thomas, he now finally gets to see and touch Jesus after the resurrection. And at the culmination of that scene, at the end of the gospel, Thomas blurts out these words, my Lord and my God. 
he says of Jesus. These words are a sort of bookend to the gospel. Now John is doing a similar sort of thing here in his letter. In the opening, in the first verses of the first chapter, he says Christ is that which was from the beginning, the one who was from the beginning. He is eternal life, who was with the Father, but is now manifested to us. That's how he opens things. And here, that now at the end, we get this bold, tidy proclamation that's very similar to the outburst of Thomas about Jesus, that he is the true God and eternal life. We've got these really strong words at either end, and they are the substance that binds the sandwich together. If you take them away, you know, without the bread, we just have handfuls of meat and cheese that falls into my lap. The sandwich just sort of comes apart. We need that as a binder. It is vital to us to know that Jesus is God. Now, let me be clear here, at least as clear as I can. To say that Jesus is God is not to say that Jesus is the same as the Father. It's not to say that Jesus is the same as the Father. God the Father and God the Son are the same in substance, are the same in essence, but they are different persons. If that bends your brain a little bit, join the club. You know, this is where we enter into the complexity and mystery of the Trinity. Jesus is not the Father, and the Father is not Jesus. And yet, the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Spirit is God. These three persons are one God who together are to be worshipped and glorified. I know it's a lot to process that. We just have to receive it as true. The, The triunity of God's deity is difficult to wrap our minds around on its own. But it even gets more complex than that. Go with me just a little bit deeper and further. Sometimes the way that Scripture uses the word God adds to this complexity. Because when the Scripture uses the word God, sometimes the, the Scripture means different things. It varies. Sometimes the word God refers to all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, together as God. But other times, the word God is a title that only refers to God the Father. You recognize this as you read through the Gospels, I'm sure. When Jesus prays, occasionally he refers to his Father as God. You know, at the cross where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he he prays at the Last Supper in John chapter 17 if I can turn there quick enough. John chapter 17, verse uh, 3, Jesus says this, and this is eternal life, 
that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You can hear the distinction here that he makes between the Father whom he calls the only true God and himself. Jesus is not talking to himself when he uses the word God here. He's talking to the Father whom he calls God. That doesn't mean that Jesus isn't also God. It just means that the word God can be used in these different ways. We get both of these senses smashed together in the text of our text here, just one verse, in verse 20. Jesus is called both the true God and the Son of God at the same time. He's the true God and he's the Son of God. Both of those are true, and neither one of those truths pushes out the other. If you got lost there a little bit, well, too bad, I guess. Uh, That's just the way it goes. This is why we continue to press into these things, okay? I will note, because this is important, that you are going to hear some people who, whether they understand it or not, are going to deny everything that I've said. They're going to deny that Jesus himself is God. The most common way you hear some people say it is people, the, the, the case goes like this. Nathan, you might say that Jesus is God, but Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus never says, I am God. So say some people. And my response is, well, yes, he does. Yes, he does say that. It's just not in the way you want him to. If you were to Google the words, I am God, you were never going to hear those three words come out of Jesus' mouth. But we need to listen to Jesus in his own cultural context and not impose my expectations upon him or else I'm going to end up misunderstanding what he says. I'll give you an example. There was a summer a long while back that I lived in Chile in South America. And I I don't know Spanish well, but enough that I could get by. And I had met some people there at at a college campus, and we were chatting about our lives, getting to know one another. And Laura and I, at the time, had just been dating for three months. So we were new and young and cute and exciting and all the sickening things. But I had, I had told these people about Laura, and I referred to her as Minovia, which in my Spanish class and in every other Spanish-speaking country that I knew of means my girlfriend. But in Chile, Minovia doesn't mean me, my girlfriend. It means my fiancé. And so they kept asking me when I'm going to get married. When are you getting married? What are the details? I was like, boy, these people really think I should lock this down. Uh, you know. And it was really just at the end of the day what I finally realized, a misunderstanding of language. Language always needs to be used and understand within the culture it's in, or else you're going to accidentally get engaged whether you wanted to or not. Now, I did want to. She's lovely, and I'm very happy. Uh, she eventually became uh, Minovia for real and, and all as well. So if we apply this to Jesus now, if we're listening to Jesus within his first century context of the Gospels, 
Jesus is clear and consistent about who he is. He is not the Father. Jesus never let, you know, never pretends otherwise. He is not the Father. He was sent from the Father. Jesus and the Father are not the same person. But Jesus also says things of himself that are only ever true of God. Jesus says about himself, I am the bread of life from heaven. And if you eat of me, you will never hunger. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, the one who can open the eyes of the blind. Jesus says, I am the door and the good shepherd for my sheep. And for the sheep, I have the authority to lay down my own life and to take it up again. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life for everyone who would believe in me. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the only access to the Father. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. And Jesus says, I am, I am. There is no stronger statement of deity than that. And if you read the gospel and cannot hear Jesus say, I am God, you're not really listening. Now, some people will hear all of that and still accuse Jesus of maybe being a nut or of maybe being a narcissist who thinks he's something that he's not. But no one can pretend that Jesus is not naming himself as God. Jesus is, he knows he is of one substance with the Father. And he has now given us understanding to know that too. John closes his letter with these words to leave them singing in our ears. Jesus is the true God and eternal life. Now that has some really big implications for how we live, especially in relation to idols, which we'll leave for next week. But today, instead of trying to figure out what to do with it, let's just let that truth take hold of us. He is the true God and eternal life. And just for a moment, whatever else may be going on in the world, in the very dramatic Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and whatever may be happening in the environment or with the economy, or with AI and all the artificial intelligence buzz. Not just in the world outside, what about even in my own world, whatever fears, anxieties, loneliness I may be facing? I can hear the question, Mr. Markley, 
what do you know? And I may not know very much, but I do know that Jesus, my Savior, my teacher, my maker, my master, redeemer, and friend, Jesus is also Christ my God. That is good news. Pray with me. Lord, would you help us to bask in the glory of this, to hope in this truth? We hope not only in what you do, but in who you are. Jesus, we we thank you for giving us knowledge of yourself, knowledge of God. You are the true God forever, and we live to praise you. Help us to follow you here and always into eternal life. We ask this grace in Jesus' name. Amen.